So Matthew 18, we're going to start with verse 5. And it says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fasted around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So we are still in our series on Matthew. Last week I finished talking about, um, we started the fourth discourse, which is the fourth teaching um, where the disciples asked what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus puts a child in the midst of them and says, in order to be great, they need to be completely dependent on God, both to enter and to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And that's where we are today. And I have an illustration that might help us with the two verses that we're talking about today. And we have to kind of remember back at a time when we were meeting at the Symphony Hotel. So some of you are, are new or have not been there, but for several of us, many of us, we can remember this, even though it seems like a million years ago, um, I can still remember it quite vividly. Um, there was one occasion uh, we were standing around after church and there was a, a pretty large group of people just sitting around chatting, talking about, I don't even know what the latest news, what was going on. And after a few minutes, um, I heard one of the people in the group say, kind of in a lower excited voice that there was a new couple that came to the church and this church was not just any couple but this church came from the American embassy and then she kind of pointed over in the direction of the couple but before she excused herself to talk to them she kind of made it clear what that meant that these people are not just any people these people well, for one thing, they have influence and they have affluence. And if you know these kind of people, you can be invited to um, American embassy parties where you can have alcohol, you can have barbecues, and you can have lots of fun, and you can meet other people who are interesting and powerful. And that was really rattling for me when I remember that conversation very vividly. And that was really rattling for me because. I had worked hard over years to um, reach out to people that I didn't know, that maybe people seemed lost or new, um, maybe people that didn't seem to have a lot of friends. But during that moment, I kind of questioned like myself, like, okay, am I, am I making the wrong choices here? Like, maybe I should be reaching out to people who have more influence and, and affluence, people who are more socially um higher up on the ladder maybe my values were wrong or askew you know there are many christians who reach out to people who are um higher up on the chains and they can reach out to other people and have much more influence you know and these people who are you know very self-driven and have um have lots of influence they could probably make me a better person because i have weaknesses and maybe those people can help me to 
be stronger myself. So I started, I was thinking to myself, well, what is the better choice to spend my time with people who are seemingly important on the outside or with those who seem very, at least seemingly insignificant? Well, I think Jesus makes it clear in this passage that what is important and what is significant, what is insignificant is very, um, is a flipped idea in Jesus's kingdom and in God's kingdom than to the, what the world considers important and significant. Because if we remember from last week, the disciples asked Jesus what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And we think great as powerful again and influential and, and with gusto and a leader. And what does Jesus do? He puts a kid in front of them. I'm thinking like a 10 year old kid with snot on his face, dirty, you know, and to get into God's kingdom, you need to be like this. And we said last week that to be like, to be in God's kingdom and to be great, you need to be like this. And to be like this means we need to be dependent on God. We need to be dependent. That's what a kid is. They're dependent on their parents for so much. And we need to be needy for him. We need to realize that everything we have, either directly or indirectly, comes from him. And we need to trust him, not just trust ourselves, but trust him for future decisions and direction. So Jesus, he kind of takes this idea of being a child in verse 5. He extends this analogy a little further. Uh, and as we can continue this in, in Matthew 18, he again mentions this idea of children in verse 5. However, he moves from the idea of being like a child in, in terms of our dependency to re- receiving a child in terms of our reaction to children in the name of Jesus. So Jesus re- equates here receiving such a child in his name to receiving Jesus himself. That's a big statement right? Receive such a child receives me. So clearly this is important to Jesus. Did you receive a child, you receive me. And when we receive such a child, so it, such the word such is just a regular demonstrative pronoun referring back to the child he was mentioning before. And these are the kind of children that are it can be spiritual children or physical children, referring to the person he put in front of him, people who are humble, the people that here's how you'd be great in the kingdom of heaven kind of kid. And so what are these kind of kids, these kind of spiritual children? Well, they are not, externally at least, they're not valuable. So we said, you know, kids are dependent. And that's true. So he extends this idea of what it means, though, to another facet of it. He says, first, it's someone who is dependent, like we discussed last week. But he says, additionally, because they are dependent and weak, they are not considered valuable in the sense of being useful to us. Right. I don't love Elliot and Silas because of what they bring to the table in my life. Right. 
uh, at least in the strictest sense of the, of the word. They offer very little of value to me. Um, I know that sounds really selfish the way I say that. I love them because they're my kids, but I don't love them because they, um, they do so much for me. My family came back to America on Saturday, like I said, and I was overjoyed because I missed them so much. Um, but I also had forgotten how much work it is to be with the kids all day long. Um, you know, even for simple things with, with Stephanie taking a shower during the day, I had to constantly monitor Silas to make sure he wasn't going to try to go up the stairs to kill him and kill himself. While at the same time making sure <coughs> to entertain Elliot, all while trying to make them both lunch or a snack, um, and then needed to get them dressed and get them to the park to get some energy out. And it was kind of this continuous cycle, getting them dressed, getting them undressed, getting them changed, getting them to the bathroom, getting them back, feeding them. It was just a lot. And I, like the first couple of days, I was like kind of a wreck kind of crawled myself back into bed i was like oh man i forgot how much work this was um i was on complete stimulus overload and it's because they're so dependent they're so they're they they're because they're dependent and weak they take a ton of energy and work to love and protect and train them into what they need to be that's why they're like this and this is what it means to be these are what Jesus' disciples are going to be like. This is what Jesus' disciples are going to be like. You know, the fact that Jesus' disciples are vulnerable and broken is what Jesus is talking about when he is talking about these children. True disciples of Christ are going to be like this, or at least mostly like this. This is why Jesus says to receive them. And of course, he's also referring to actual physical children and loving and caring for them, um, both our own and others. And yes, there are Christian organizations like World Vision and others that do this kind of work and they should be supported. Jesus is also referring very much metaphorically to spiritual children and Jesus' disciples. Because he refers to his own disciples as children in the sense of being part of his kingdom. And if it was natural or easy, there would be no instruction of having to receive Jesus' disciples in this way. And I like the way the NIV translated it. They, they, it translated as welcoming such children in his name, right? We have to welcome them. It's like a kind of a, a warmer word to welcome such a child in my name. Now it would, Jesus would not need to say this if it was easy, right? It would be natural and easy and totally normal to welcome the embassy worker, embassy employee in the illustration above, right? Because they probably have their lives together and they have as much to offer us. And they are the people, they are kind of the fun, interesting and enjoyable people, probably very normal Christians, right? They don't carry, probably, at least on the outside, carry a ton of burdens, right? They're likely able to function decently in society and can be helpful to us. 
right? So those are the kind of people that that's not the kind of people Jesus is talking about because they have their lives together. Um, that's not who Jesus is talking about because that would be natural. That's normal for us. However, welcoming the broken and the dysfunctional uh, is, is much harder and is very unnatural for us, right? People who are broken and weak and damaged and vulnerable, like the kind of children that Jesus is asking us to receive, receive that is different and unnatural. And we need to remember that Jesus came. Who did he come to call, right? The healthy or the sick? He came to call the sick, not the healthy. And who did Jesus spend his most, most of his time with? He came to spend most of his time with the outcasts in Galilee, in Capernaum, in Nazareth. Right? He was not in the spiritual and the material megacity of Jerusalem. Right? He went there a couple times. But he spent most of his time in the country with country people doing country things in the woods with, with 12 men and women, right? He was, he was with these people that were broken. And if you think about it, this is not just Jesus talking, right? We see this example very much in the New Testament. And this is what Paul talks about when he opens his letter to the church in Corinth. And it says, this is in first Corinthians. It says for, this is in the first chapter of, of, the church to the church in Corinth, it says, for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So think about this. This is Paul talking to a, to a church. And actually a church in a, in a, in a pretty wealthy part of uh, the Roman empire and saying, even among this church, there's not many wise or powerful or noble. So Paul makes it very clear what Jesus is saying, that most Christians are going to have issues. They're not, most of them are not going to be the embassy workers, are not going to be the leaders or the winsome or the wealthy. As a result, we resist this because it takes work and effort and is extremely messy at best, right? Our tendency is to not welcome those believers who are weak, who have issues, who have problems, who have failures. We try or tend to, and I'm talk, preaching to myself as much as I am to anybody here. Um, we try to skirt around them, avoid them, or even worth condemn them, ostracize them, or blame them. Christians, we can be the worst at shooting our own, right? Or hurting our own. And that, that's, that's a shame. This is, Jesus is saying we should not be doing this. So what happens when we do this? Jesus makes it very clear. When we cause one of these childlike weak believers to stumble or sin by mistreating them or neglecting them, we are in effect rejecting Christ. Just like we re if we receive a child, in Jesus' name, we receive Jesus. What do you think it means when we reject them? It means we are in effect rejecting Jesus. And he says pretty much the same thing. He says it's better to have a millstone hung around our necks than to be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
And these millstones are big enough to be pushed by a donkey, probably big as um, big as a large office desk, if not bigger. So they would take you to the bottom of the ocean quickly. And as someone like myself who has done a, a fair bit of scuba diving, descending that quickly, you would die in incredible agony as the pressure of the ocean crushes you while you drown. So that is that is not going to be a pleasant experience. And Jesus intends for this to kind of really sink in what this means if you reject his children. And even this idea drowned in the depths, this extra little um, prepositional phrase, this idea of being in the depths that refers to judgment of God's enemies. And it's used elsewhere. Like the, the armies of Pharaoh were drowned in the depths of the ocean when the, when the sea, the Red Sea closed in around them, showing judgment. So the idea seems pretty clear that we need to welcome Jesus' disciples. So how do we do this? So some points of application. First point of application, realize that we are not perfect. So we ourselves, we do not have it together. And sometimes we can pretend so much to others that we have it all together, that we can believe it ourselves that we do. And even if we appear on the outside, that we can keep it together, internally our lives can be in shambles. And even if we do have it together, the worst thing of all is pride, which comes from believing the lie that we have it all together. So then you're in the worst shape. So the Bible, and the Bible makes it clear that we are all sinners in need of a savior. And we will never be fully rid of sin until we are with Jesus in eternity. And Paul says not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgments. And once we realize that we are not as amazing and as good as we think we are, it becomes easier to be kind and loving towards other believers who have issues because we are able to identify with them. And along with this, I don't want to tell anybody what to do, but I do want to warn people about the some of the issues with social media. I have found, at least for myself, that social media platforms, certain ones, um, they can feed my desire to think more highly of myself because you can present yourself in such a way that makes you look really good and really important and really interesting and really savvy. Um, kind of like projecting an idealized version of myself that exaggerates my strengths and downplays my weaknesses. And you know, what? there's so much of that in my life and in the world. Um, just thinking of things like a resume, right? Even a resume already does that. And I have to do that as part of just living in this world. I don't need more of that from social media. And I have found not having that as part of my life has this made me a happier and a more realistic human being that has strengths and weaknesses. And I found that much easier. And then another application point is to reach out to Jesus children by inviting them to do the things we're already doing. So 
we need to reach out. That's, that's, that's the point, right? We need to reach out to people who are different than us. It is my tendency as well as yours to struggle. Um, or it is my tendency as well as yours to engage with people who are like me and spend time with people who are like me. Um, and there's no, nothing wrong with that because we need that. There's people that I like to spend time with that I can just be myself. I don't have to be on. I don't have to, um, uh, yeah, I don't have to be on. I don't have to uh, pretend. I can just be 100% myself, and that's okay. At the same time, we do want to follow Jesus' lead here and his command from this passage that we need to reach out, spend time with, and welcome people that have struggles, that have issues, that have problems, people who might be very different than ourselves, or maybe not so different if we judge ourselves accurately. But this takes effort. This takes time. But it doesn't need to be impossible. And yes, I know that we are all very busy people. Looking around this room, we all work long hours. We have lots of engagements. It's pretty intense. We have small families, many of us. Um, and there's little time left in the day. But one strategy I've learned over the years is to invite people to do what I'm already doing. So if I'm going to the grocery store, I just try to call somebody up and say, hey, I'm going to the grocery store to do some shopping. Do you want to come with me? They may say yes. They may say no. But at least I've extended myself and this is something I'm already doing. And then I can try to kill two birds with one stone. If I'm going to the park with my children, this has worked several times. I'm going to the park with my wife and kids. I offer a person, hey, I'll pick you up if you're interested in coming. I'm going for a couple hours. We're going to play, burn off some energy. We can talk while we do this. That way, it's not a huge expense of time where I'm just abandoning my other responsibilities as a, as a, as a dad, but I can also invest in other people. So I can off, you know, um, I can afford to give that time because I'm kind of going in two different directions. But of course, the hardest part is making the effort to look for and to reach out to these people. And it takes an eye as you just kind of see people. And we're not in church right now. So it's, it's, it makes an extra effort. But there's people that we know in our church, in our circle of friends, in our workplace, that maybe are not doing great because they're not with friends. They're not hanging out because of COVID or just a myriad of different issues that are happening right now. It's not a not a great time in Kuwait right now that you're probably thinking of. So as you think of those people, whoever that person is, is your brain, pray for them and then try to call them this week. So therefore, Jesus feels strongly about how we treat his weakest and neediest believers. If we receive them in the name of Jesus, we receive Jesus himself. But if we cause one of them to stumble by looking over them or not treating them as brothers or sisters in the Lord, we are bringing swift judgment on ourselves. Back to the illustration in the beginning, highly valuing the embassy worker because of what they could bring to us, that was wrong. Because Jesus values those who are unseen by men. And those people who are unseen by men are highly valued by God and Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you see us. You see us in our weakness. You see us in our failures. I thank you that you 
have seen us and you look down on us in our weakness and in our failures and you saved us. You loved us even in our sin and our calamity and our catastrophe of our lives and you rescued us from sin and that you brought us into a fellowship of believers and you brought us out of the penalty of sin and that we can be part of your kingdom and I pray that you would help us to continue to love others continue to reach out to others especially those who are of the household of faith God those who love you but are struggling now, those who love you but are having a hard time, those who love you but are have weaknesses and issues and things to deal with. I just pray that you'd give us the, the courage and the strength and the time to reach out and to love them and to care for them. And that would reap a great harvest and they would bring great joy. God, please help us to do that this week. God, we want to value your little children. No matter how influential or not they are. So God, as we move forward into the time of scripture reading and prayer, I pray, pray that you would just put this on our hearts and our minds. We ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.